Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Tomorrow's MSP podcast, the voice of the medical services profession, where medical services professionals and industry experts contribute their voices about popular topics, including the impacts of artificial intelligence, MSP core competencies, department advocacy, leadership, and more. I'm your host, Lauren Leocoris, content editor for NAMS. On the season three finale of the Tomorrow's MSP podcast, I speak with Linda Waldorf, System Director of the UNC Healthcare System, about how telemedicine is changing the healthcare landscape and how new Joint Commission standards are helping MSPs navigate these changes. So Linda, since the pandemic, telehealth has become more and more prevalent for patients. What specific challenges have arose for MSPs? Well, Lauren, thank you for this opportunity to talk about telemedicine today. And even though telemedicine has been around for more than 50 years in America, you know, many MSPs have little experience in navigating the credentialing and privileging details around telemedicine. And from my perspective and observation within our health system and among my colleagues around the country, there are have been several key challenges, especially during the pandemic. And one challenge has just been navigating new territory during a pandemic. Many of us didn't have telemedicine in our world or very little of it, and then it just kind of exploded with the pandemic. And in the midst of that, some of our MSPs were onboarding telemedicine providers, but some of their providers were being contracted out for telemedicine services. They were sort of navigating some details about that. Many of our MSPs were trying to work remotely and they were really set up for that. So that was adding complexity. Some had staffing shortages. Some MSPs were very deep in the weeds of processing providers for just disaster privileges to help with the pandemic. So the stress was really significant, enough so that some MSPs retired early and some just left the field. So even though telemedicine is a wonderful new way to provide care for patients. It was just another kind of big stressor for MSPs during the pandemic. Another challenge has been really understanding the CMS conditions of participation and related joint commission standards and the standards of other CMS deemed status regulatory authorities such as DMV. You know, reading the standards can be sort of like reading the Bible. An individual or a group can have very different interpretations of it. And even the Joint Commission and DNB, is just one example, had different requirements based on their interpretation of the CMS conditions of participation. There is increased clarity now as the Joint Commission has changed their standards to mirror the DNB standards for telemedicine. So that was a great new step and helped clarify that part of telemedicine. Another challenge has been really around operationalizing the various options available in the standard. In the standards, the Joint Commission standards offers three options for telemedicine, which is great, but it does add complexity. Uh, And in reality, an MSP may be managing all three scenarios in their organization, depending on the terms of the various contracts. They can have a contract with a distant site entity that allows for using credentialing by proxy option. They could have a contract or contracts with distant site entities that do not qualify for credentialing by proxy and need to, they need to fully credential them. And they can do that two ways. They can obtain credentialing information from the distant site or vendor and use it for their 
review and approval process, or they can you know, credential that telemedicine provider through their normal process. And sometimes that's kind of spelled out in the contractual details. So the MSP may not even completely have a voice. For UNC Health, you know, we have tried to use the option on occasion where we obtain the distant sites, credentialing and privileging documents to use for our process and actually found that route was really more time consuming and just more difficult for us, not only for the medical staff office, but, you know, it can be more difficult and time consuming for the leaders reviewing the file. They're seeing an application verification forms that are just not familiar to them. So for us using the distance site documents was really not an option from the standards that we tried it and didn't feel like it was a successful option for us. But again, it goes back to details in the contract. It could be that contractual arrangement is that we will use their documents. So a lot goes back to that contract. Another challenge is really the approval process. There is language in the Joint Commission standards that notes that organizations can use the privileging decision of the distance site or vendor. But then later in the standards, it references that you can use the privileging decision of the distance site to make your own decision, which really implies that then you're doing some type of review and approval process, even if you selected that credentialing route, credentialing by privileging route. So I think that added a little bit of confusion. If you read in the Joint Commission introduction to the Medical Staff Standard 130101, it notes under special conditions, the originating site is allowed to accept the privileging decisions of the distance site. And that's assuming you're following all other you know, regulatory and state law requirements. So it allows that. But then if you go further into that standard down to the elements of performance, it notes this slightly different language. It says the originating site may choose to use the credentialing and privileging decision from the distant site to make a final privileging decision if all of the following requirements are met. And those are really all the requirements that have to do with credentialing by proxy. But anyway, I think that those two different sections kind of, you know, if you read just the first one, you can just say, okay, if they approve them, then we instantly approve them. But the second language really kind of says, no, you can take their approval and you know, use it to, to help make your your final decision. So I think that added, you know, is a little bit of a challenge. And, and a little bit later, I'll share how we have sort of managed that language for us here at UNC Health. There are other challenges too, and those really are kind of operational issues that can be challenging for MSPs. MSPs, in conjunction with their leadership, have to determine the reappointment cycle. Some of our telemedicine vendors or distant sites want organizations to keep the same reappointment date as the distant site. We want the originating to embrace whatever the distant site's reappointment process date is. And I think the assumption is, okay, when we reappoint them, then we're going to communicate that reappointment. We're all on the same cycle. But that didn't really work for us here at UNC Health. At UNC Health, all telemedicine providers are put in the same cycle as all other credentialed and privileged providers. But we do, for our credentialing by proxy providers, we have a completely separate reappointment expiration report. 
And when our credentialing by proxy providers are up for reappointment, the medical staff office, the MSP, reaches out to make sure that the contract is still in place, the provider is still in good standing, they've been reappointed uh, as appropriately there, nothing has changed in terms of the privileges that um, they need through the contract, they're going to run the MPDB, and then they will not engage the applicant in a reappointment application. They will use the contract to guide the reappointment of those credentialing by proxy providers. So, and again, each, each organization kind of has to, um, to kind of work through that. Are you going to embrace the, the date of the distant site or are you going to put them in your cycle? And then what does that operationally mean for your organization? Another operational issue is managing expirables. And at UNC, we decided that we would still monitor licensure, DEA, board certification, malpractice, and even sanctions, whether we were doing credentialing by proxy or you know, full telemedicine application. We are going to, to monitor those, those details. And again, some of our vendors or distant sites have really, you know, they're doing that and they didn't feel we needed to. But again, we felt like we wanted to keep eyes on those details on our end. So we made that decision. We did make one exception for one very large telemedicine vendor who really didn't want us, you know, sending email reminders out to their telemedicine providers. So we still monitor their expirables, but we work through the vendor and we don't send reminder notices out to their providers. And again, it's a very large vendor who has physicians who are, you know, practicing in 20 and 30 states. Another option challenge is understanding the FPP OPPE process and the requirement to communicate quality issues back to the distant site or vendor. The originating site where the patient is being cared for should perform their normal FPP test. Also required to communicate information back to the distant site. And again, I think there's some confusion about that process that individuals feel that the distant site should be sharing quality information with the originating site where the patient is. But the standard is actually the opposite because the Joint Commission is saying the patient is providing, is is being cared for at your entity, you should be sharing quality information back to the distant site for use in making the reappointment decision. And the Joint Commission standards note, at a minimum, this information includes all adverse outcomes related to Sentinel events considered reviewable by the Joint Commission that result from the telemedicine services provided and complaints about the distant site physician or licensed practitioner from patients, physicians, or licensed practitioners on staff at the originating site. So the Joint Commission is saying, at the originating site where, where the patient's being cared for, you're obligated to reach back to the distant site and at a minimum share complaints in these quality events related to Sentinel events so that the distant site can use that information in making their credentialing decision or whether the focus review, focus FPPE needs to happen. And many MSPs kind of sort of see that differently. Well, the distant site should be sort of sharing out information with us. But the distance site is making the information based on their quality data 
and your data should be shared with them as well as a part of making that decision. For us at UNC Health, each hospital in our system really handles their own operational process. We do have a CVO that handles credentialing and gathering information and manages expirables and monitoring of sanctions. But each hospital really handles their FPPE, OPPE process around their all their providers, including their telemedicine providers. You know, we do see, you know, times when a telemedicine provider is just not a right fit. And sometimes they're just removed from the schedule. Somehow they don't fit the culture and it can sometimes be handled that way, that they just, the originating just aside just feels like, you know, they're not really fitting our culture and we just drop them from the schedule. So these are some probably the key challenges that I have observed and still observing in our world of telemedicine. Like what you hear on the Tomorrow's MSP podcast? Visit namsgateway.org to catch up on more content and insights from medical services professionals and industry experts. And Linda, the Joint Commission has revised its standards concerning telemedicine. So what are some ways MSPs can operationalize telemedicine standards in various scenarios? Well, I appreciate that question. And I'm going to start with the credentialing by proxy. I mentioned those three um, methods earlier, but I'm going to start with credentialing by proxy because both NAMS and the American Telemedicine Association have really advocated for us as MSPs to embrace credentialing by proxy. And we need to do this to reduce the administrative burden on our, on our doctors and our advanced practice providers and just the administrative cost of healthcare that is passed on to our patients and taxpayers. I am hopeful that the Joint Commission will change the reappointment cycle from two years to three years, which will even further reduce the administrative burden on providers, MSPs, and leaders in credentialing and privileging. But for us in the credentialing by privilege scenario, we can obtain minimal information and documentation from the distance side and use their credentialing and privileging decision as our decision. And at UNC Health, in really looking at that standard and looking at how we can simplify that the best we can, we've kind of gone a little step further in our process. We have established a master telemedicine agreement that each hospital leadership agreed to and signed that we would use the credentialing by proxy route anytime we had internal providers within our health system providing telemedicine within our health system. So if we had a a neurologist from our academic medical center going to do um, that would be doing telemedicine at a community hospital in our system, we all agreed that we would use the credentialing by proxy method, that we would not put those providers through a full credentialing process. Also, our various boards can approve a telemedicine credentialing by proxy board resolution that actually allows a designated administrator, typically like the CMO, that they could immediately approve a provider for telemedicine privileges if we have a signed, fully executed contract, if we've run the NPDB, we have the insurance, we know the privileges that are going to be performing. And if through the NPDB query, the provider is free of any reported licensure or registration action, restriction or limitation, 
if there are no reported clinical privileging actions, if there's no unusual pattern or excessive number of professional liability actions resulting in final judgment against the applicant, and there are no other professional review actions that would implicate the provider's ability to practice safe clinical care. So if they basically have a clean NPDB report and we have a signed agreement and we have no the privileges that are going to be granted, that this administrator can immediately grant privileges and not take it through an approval process. We will use the approval, the decision of the distant site. And in this model, you know, again, the telemedicine provider does not complete any any paperwork at all. You know, the contract will spell out the privileges that the provider will be seeking and granted. So the work on an MSP, there's really no paperwork for the physician or advanced practice provider, and there's minimal work for the MSP and for, for leadership. It allows the telemedicine provider to begin providing patient care faster and without administrative hassle. So we are actively doing this in our health system, and we do feel like it has helped us to more rapidly be able to provide care for our patients. So this approval process is working for us. We do have, uh, operationally, we designate our credentialing by proxy providers in a special staff category so that when they are going through reappointment, we run them on a separate report and the MSP can verify that the contract is still in place, that the provider is um, still being reappointed through a normal cycle. Nothing has changed about privileges or licensure or anything of that matter. And they are reappointed via that route rather than completing a reappointment application and a privilege form. So we feel like the operational efficiencies are great for the telemedicine providers, for medical staff leaders, and for, for us as MSPs. The second scenario is really, again, gathering documents from the distance site and then using those to present to your credentials committee, MEC, and boards. Again, we've tried it. We felt like it's, you know, you're sometimes seeing forms from another hospital that are unfamiliar. Their verification forms are different. We felt, you know, department chairs, credentials committee members have to sort of navigate uh, understanding another hospital's form. So we actually felt like it didn't really, for our health system, didn't really add value to, to go that route. So we have done it some, but it's not a you know, preferred method. The third scenario is just to credential the telemedicine provider, just like any other applicant. And sometimes one has to go this route as the distant site does not meet the criteria for credentialing by proxy. Again, in that situation, we do follow our normal credentialing and privileging route. We do at UNC Health, we do list them in, in the telemedicine status, but they do receive a the usual reappointment application and privilege form to complete at reappointment. And there can be other scenarios too. I mean, we're navigating situations where we have contracted providers. They're providing inpatient privileges, have inpatient privileges at one hospital, and then they're doing telemedicine via credentialing by proxy the second or third. So some of those uh, we're kind of navigating, keeping up with them in two ways. You know, they're completing a reappointment application and privilege form for their inpatient privileges. And then we're monitoring they're still under a contract for credentialing by proxy at a, like I say, a second or third site. 
So those, there can be even other scenarios that can present in your organization. Those are Excellent. And then are there other standards updates on the horizon that could further affect telemedicine? I appreciate that question as well. To my knowledge, there are no other standard updates on the horizon that would affect telemedicine other than the hopeful possibility that the Joint Commission is changing the reappointment cycle from two years to three years, which would be fantastic. And Mr. Campbell did announce it at NAMS, the NAMS conference, that it looked hopeful that it was going through the approval process with the Joint Commission, but it is looking very hopeful that the Joint Commission is going to change their standards after consultation with CMS. The guidelines with CMS are really just a recommendation. They're not a mandate to be two years. So we're anxiously waiting to hear from the Joint Commission on that. But that would be a very helpful change because, again, they could be on a three-year cycle instead of two. The licensure and scope of practice by state are areas that I anticipate could change in the future, especially for our advanced practice providers. Right now, there is variation in licensure and scope of practice for our advanced practice providers, especially the nurse practitioners. And it really does impact telemedicine. For example, in one state, a nurse practitioner may be able to practice independently, totally independently. In another state, they're required to have a supervising physician. So an NP could practice telemedicine in one state, but not another because of their supervisory requirements. There can also be limitations on supervising physicians in various states. And for example, a nurse practitioner may be able to provide telemedicine services, but their supervising physician may have to reside in the state where that nurse practitioner is practicing telemedicine. So if we wanted at UNC Health, if we wanted our nurse practitioners to practice in Georgia, my understanding from Georgia law is that they could do that, but whoever their supervising physician is has reside in the state of Georgia. They couldn't be in North Carolina. And I certainly don't know all of those laws, but I do see that telemedicine could drive additional changes. Certainly the scope of what advanced practice providers are doing is ever expanding and there's movement moving forward for physician assistants to now be called physician associates and in part because of the expanded clinical work that they're doing. So we, you know, we're seeing changes in what they can clinically do and, and how that impacts their licensure. So I, I, I don't know for sure, but I would say we will see more changes around our advanced practice providers in the years ahead. And Linda, my last question for you is, how can MSPs leverage their core competencies as they continue to navigate the telemedicine landscape? Well, thank you for that question. And from my perspective, MSPs have all the necessary core competencies to to navigate the telemedicine landscape. You know, we know credentialing privileging, we know governance and approval. We're familiar with regulatory authorities. I mean, they're ever, you know, they're ever changing and we have to understand them, but you know, we really do know this world. We just have to feel confident about it and learn a little bit more about it. And when one looks at the list of skill sets for MSPs, it's on the NAMS website, which is a wonderful list for us. The list continues to grow as our competencies increase, even in areas 
now, such as managing and leading remote teams. So, you know, we, we have strong core competencies and our competencies are continued to grow. If you want to take a look at that on the NAM site, it's a great place to see all the skill sets that we have to have to be effective MSPs. So for me, telemedicine offers MSPs an increasing opportunity to be healthcare leaders in our field of expertise. And when we think about key leadership qualities, they include honesty and transparency. That's really important to us in our field of expertise. Competence in the field that we're leading or working in. Having a positive attitude and a vision of the future. So I think I would just say to my fellow MSPs, as MSPs, we should educate ourselves and become experts on telemedicine credentialing and privileging standards. Thus, we are increasing our competency in, in the area, in this area. The regulatory standards, the NAMS ATA telemedicine guidebook, which was recently updated in 9-2022, webinars, podcasts, white papers, they are all wonderful resources to really educate ourselves on this important topic. We as MSPs really need to have and portray a positive attitude about telemedicine. Telemedicine is a wonderful new way to reach and care for our patients. We need to be positive about telemedicine. And we also need to reflect as if we have a vision of the future, MSPs, we should reflect on what telemedicine might look like for our world in the future and strive to prepare for the expansion of telemedicine. So in closing, I just want to say we do live in exciting times and positive change brings growth both personally and for others. So telemedicine is a good change and not only good for patients and caregivers, but a great opportunity for MSPs. So let's embrace it and make a positive contribution. Excellent. Well, Linda, thank you so much for being part of this episode of the Tomorrow's MSP podcast. This is an incredibly important topic, and I'm glad we had a subject matter expert such as yourself be able to come on and speak to it. And I'm really looking forward to sharing this episode with our members. Thank you, Lauren. Thank you for having me. I'd like to extend a special thank you to Linda for joining me on this episode. Thank you for listening to the Tomorrow's MSP podcast, the voice of the medical services profession. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to tune in to the next episode to stay up to date on the latest news and insights. Read more in-depth articles on trending topics by visiting us at namsgateway.org. Until next time.